I mean, your dad was a popular bloke. Well, yes, he was. Um, I suppose we should stick to family, really, but uh, there's Ken. He, he was a, a good friend, and me, and uh, you, and you, and Nick, and me man, David. He apologises. You bought his house and you won't let him in it. Because he was rude and insensitive. Have you met David? It's his default setting. Welcome to episode 141 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street catch-up podcast that's seen some mismatches in its day, Manchester United versus Ipswich, Australia versus Namibia, an Olympic-sized swimming pool versus Eric the Eel Musambani, but surely the idea of Daisy thinking she can take on Carla takes a biscuit, I'm Gavin. And I'm tired of snow. Oh, it's had enough snow and we're... I'm, I'm done. We've barely started with it. I'm just done. It's almost spring. <laughs> It's not. It's the middle of February. Right. Spring starts next month. That doesn't start next month. So it's up. Well. We've lived here for long enough to know that there can be snow on the ground in April. The spring equinox begins next month. All right. All right. Do do I have to be that pedantic about it? Well, it's not really pedantry to point out that there's (laughs) snow on the ground in April. Sometimes. Not always. Mostly. No. It's happened like twice. Mm. You normally get a fall late March, early April, just to kill plants that are <laughs> thinking about blooming. Uh, I've also I also spent all of January in in Florida, so yeah. So you really have kinda... no place to talk to when everyone else in the house has had more than a month more than you have of it. Yes, I th- but I think that's why that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of fed up with it. It's like, ah, uh, I remember being in a much nicer place. Weather-wise, even though it's been cold in the, it's been cold in the south this year as well. They had a snow and ice storm in in Texas. Did you see that I did huge not. pile up? No, I did not. There was like a FedEx truck that just could not stop and ran into the back of another of a stopped eighteen-wheeler truck and and flipped over and burst into flames. Well, it's not express for nothing. <laughs> I had to I had to go very quickly and, and check and make sure that I didn't have anything going to Texas via FedEx this week, and I did not, which is a relief. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's an odd year. It's an odd year for weather because we really didn't have much snow until end of January. We didn't really have much snow that stuck. Typically, here. Yeah. Typically, we get like. The ground is white all the way through January. You weren't here. Typically, it gets all white. Like. Do you remember driving to the airport? Yes. That was like. Driving through that blizzard on January the 3rd. Yeah, but didn't it all melt? Not really. Yeah. Because when when I first got back, I remember, at least in the Detroit area, they didn't have much snow and then. We, it wasn't until we got home that there was snow on the ground. That was the weirdest thing, because there was snow when I was driving to the airport and then driving back from the airport. It's like, where did all this 
Put a little snow go. I just put it down to being it's night, right. so we can't see it. But. Yeah, but typically we'll get snow in like November or December, and then we just don't see the ground again until until March, late March, early April. So it is kind of been. It's weird that our big snow didn't didn't arrive until January. Mm-hmm. It's currently snowing. Yes. Yes. So, 2021, just as good as 2020. If not better, because we're all older. And wiser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, how was your week? It was my week. I find it very hard to tell anymore. Yeah. Weeks are just... They kind of meld into one another. Yeah. Nothing very much... Knocking me out of my routine Other than Finally getting to finish The flight attendant Oh yes Yes we finished The flight attendant That was more just oh, We've started it We need to power through At the end here I think I liked it More than you did I didn't really enjoy it It was it, all right It's it's not the worst thing That's nominated For a Golden Globe that That's I've been nominated watched. For for an award of From anything What's getting What the, the series Is getting an award Or Well it's nominated For best Uh Comedy series, I believe. Uh, wasn't really funny enough for that. Um, and Kelly Coco is nominated for Best Actress. Oh, good God! In a um, in a comedy, I believe, or if, or it may be for short series. I, it's all kind of melding together. I'm I'm currently watching that um, Irish short series, Normal People, and I'm finding it very tedious. As far as a flight attendant is concerned, Goldie Hawn is rolling in her grave. She's not dead. Well. She just played Mrs. Santa Claus in a Netflix Christmas film. Rolling in her grave. Shall we preamble, my dear? Oh, I'm not ready. <laughs> Hold on, because I'm still in Spongebob. <laughs> there we go. Oops. Now you see how the sausage is made, folks. Oh, I had a mammogram this week. That's like the only real change in my routine. I finished quarantine and I went and got my boobs squished. My my boobs were not happy to have to have been put in a bra and then put in a machine. Big day for the boobs. <laughs> Big day for the boobs. Now, <laughs> give us some of that mama recording news, <laughs> I guess. You were all set to make a pun about the flight attendant, weren't you? Until I said something about my boobs. It did throw me off. I will, I will <laughs> happily admit. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time my boobs have thrown you off. I had to resort to a plan B. <laughs> B for boobs. As it turns out. <laughs> Thank goodness we didn't get to plan C. <laughs> no, I had to postpone that appointment. <laughs> Fucking news. <laughs> Exit left. Chased by a bear. Oh, from the Winter's Tale. Mm. Well done. Thank you. Well done. Bev Clard has announced she will not be oh, coming Winter's back Tale. for an official ending storyline for Liz. She has she has said she has shut the door forever on Coronation Street. She's She's packed up her, her hair-teasing comb and her leopard print pants, her tiger print pants, 
And the animals of the Serengeti are heaving a collective sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, she's been getting quite a few offers after uh, after I'm a celebrity. So good yeah, for her. She did well on celebrity. She yeah. was a character. Yeah. So, and I, as was her husband, who wasn't there. I kind of don't. I kind of don't blame her. I mean, it's been so long. It's been too long. Yeah. Why go back just to leave again? Mm-hmm. Especially with COVID still being a thing and that that horrible UK strain, which seems to be more contagious and more deadly than than the than the original. Yay! the the first uh, The first case of that in our county here in Michigan was reported last week. Did you see that? I didn't. No. I just- spend so little time watching news. If it's not on Seth Meyers or <laughs> Stephen Colbert, I don't know about it. See, I don't watch it. I, it didn't get it from watching the news. I got it from um, scrolling through and uh, the Barry Eaton County Health District. Anyway. Posting about it. Anyway. So yeah, she's been off for months. Right. In Spain, apparently. Right. Flying out on a 1980s airline. She's not going to come back. Just, just to, to say, leave again. oh, by the way, that's me leaving now. Right. That's kind of weird. So, yeah, I don't really blame yeah. her. It's a shame that she's not going to get an exit. Yeah. She's not going to get her moment in the back it. of a taxi. Right. But not like that. Right. Oh, that's I'm, sure, I'm sure she's had <laughs> many of those moments. But, you know, Steve did, Steve did mention Liz this week. And one in passing. Right. So, they'll probably, what they'll probably do is, oh, mom is. Decided she's going to stay in Spain forever. Good this, for mom. This could be a, we never mention her again. Yeah. Oh, well. Where's Andy? Andy's in Spain, Andy's right? in Spain, yeah. She's with Andy. She's with Andy, yes. Mm-hmm. And we never see Andy anymore either, so. Yeah, he's, it's still weird when he walks onto the set in classic Corey <laughs> from 97. <laughs> it was good this week. Things exploded. Yeah, I saw that. I saw, I saw your gif. It's mm-hmm. a nice little punctuation of the what's well, afternoon in the uk but it airs like 10 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. here it's no bad way to start your day <laughs> <laughs> a couple of episodes of classic cory that's <laughs> funny <sighs> siblings in the time of covid oh uh for their scenes this week that required them to film in close quarters michael lavelle and sue devaney had covid tests done which both came back negative beforehand I would have thought that they would have been required to like quarantine together for two weeks as well. And and I would have thought that there would have been more to it than just getting a COVID test done. Because I would hope that cast is getting tested regularly anyway. I saw that and I I, I never thought anything of it until I saw that article. Uh And then part of me was like, oh, it's fine because they're brother and sister. Nope. No, they're they're not. Not Not really. Well... The scales have been <laughs> scraped from my eyes now. Apparently it was quite hot in that in that fridge as well. And yeah. poor, poor Michael has all those layers mm. on and mm. everything. Apparently both of them were sweating down their backs the yep. whole time. Because it's just a blue light. Right. It's not a real fridge. Right. So <laughs> being in, in enclosed quarters made it warmer and then the lights made it warmer. Sure. So <laughs> the magic of television. Absolutely, I love things like that. <laughs> they changed the light as well from a a blue to a purple at some point, right? 
And I think that must mean that it just got hotter, I guess. I don't know. Right, yeah. It reminded me of uh, another thing I watched only because it's nominated for a Golden Globe, which is uh, Ratchet, because a number of times, like, inexplicably, like, when a mood changes, the lights will go completely blue or purple in uh, in those scenes. Apparently it's... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Apparently it's memorable. Yeah. Apparently it's supposed to be artsy. Anyway. <laughs> I didn't really enjoy Ratchet. But anyway. Finally, you would have hated it. Finally. I'm, I'm sure I would. <laughs> the cast came home to the cobbles to resume filming this week. With the Instagram shots from Tanisha Gori and Ellie Mulvaney to prove it. As promised, there will be no slowdown of episodes for us to watch. Um, so the we'll still have six episodes a week going yeah. forward. So, so yeah, they, they only stopped filming for two weeks, so right we can easily absorb that. Yeah, and they were managed to uh, rewrite some things and move things around and make sure everything was up to health and safety standards. Now that now that there's a this new scary strain. Rampaging the streets of the UK. Could be the end of the world yet. Yes. Fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) And that's Corey News. That's Corey News. Our mailbag. Scott wrote in to say, Hi folks, just finished listening to your podcast and your love for Evelyn, which I of course share. Should I rant about people going into the shop with rollers in their hair and Helen said this doesn't happen anymore. It's true that Hilda and her colours under her headscarf aren't a thing, but here in Liverpool, and probably in Manchester, girls can often be seen about town with their rollers in. Wander through the city centre on a Saturday and you'll see a lot of girls like this as they do their shopping and chores while getting their hair nicely shaped for their night out. Here's an article about the phenomenon with pictures as evidence and he links to an article in ID Vice called Photographing the Women of Liverpool and Their Hair Rollers. It is a thing. And it looks so weird. Yeah, nobody does that over here anymore. (laughs) I don't think anybody even really has rollers anymore. It's kind of a vintage thing to do, put your hair in in rollers. That article is just filled with images that look like they're from a a Manic Street Preachers album cover. Yeah. The pyjamas thing, though, that's just laziness. And I disapprove, says Scott. (laughs) Yeah, that happens here all the time. There have been times when the kids were still going to school in an actual school building that I would just throw on a robe and, and my slippers to drive them up yes, driving them in the weather. But I was never getting out of the car like that. No. And I think I may have gone through the Big B drive through afterwards just like that, just to get a coffee. But again, I'm not leaving the car. Mm-hmm. I seem to have inadvertently triggered a Canadian talk of the street civil war. Ace of Wands left a review Right Talk of the Street is by far the best Cory cast on the pod waves Oh, how nice is that? Helen's unabashedly progressive Slash feminist perspective Is so appreciated Especially when other podcasts seem to romanticise Toxic characters and relationships in the show Her boos are truly the boos of reason And this Canadian millennial Is booing right along with her (laughs) Gavin is routinely hilarious not that anyone's noticed And I frequently rewind episodes just so I can laugh at his jokes a second Heck, even a third time 
Overall, the podcast is just so fun, wholesome and refreshing. And the hosts are total hashtag couple goals. Aww. Thanks for getting me through the pandemic, guys. Y'all cheer me up. Uh, was it Christy? <laughs> was that Christy? It was um, Ace of Wands. Oh, so that's not Christy. Well. It might be Christy. <laughs> she defended me on, on, on the Twitter. Christy did. Yeah. With a moose gif. <laughs> Go off your high moose. Yes. <laughs> that was hilarious. I was trying to remember what movie that was from. That gif. Oh, it was open something, open season, wasn't it? I, I don't think so. I think it was, um, oh, I think it was Brother Bear, actually. Um, and uh, Rick Moranis. Helen is now mimicking a moose with her hands as antlers. Rick Moranis played one of the mooses. Mice. Moose. <clears throat> Mises. And now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm still really verklempt over that uh, review. Yeah, it was lovely. That was so lovely. Thanks, Ace of Wands. Whoever you may be. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> Just enough time to quickly talk about Night Off for a Bath. I don't remember this one either, which is always a good sign. <laughs> this was Abby unhappy with Seb for inviting Alina Pop to move in with him and Emma. What are mm-hmm. you going to do? Take turns about and then have a night off for a bath? Right. That was a line. I was Gavin and you were full of yummy goodness. I'm always full of yummy goodness, y'all. <laughs> this was a post-Valentine's Day meal. Yeah, yeah, we had it at uh, the English Inn. English Inn. Yes. At five o'clock in the afternoon. It was, it was, what's <laughs> hilarious is uh, Benny, like two days ago, he's like, so you guys got to go to the English Inn for Valentine's Day. Oh, did he? Yeah. And it's like, no, sweetheart, there's a pandemic on. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> but it's, I, I guess, because that's, I, I guess that's kind of our go-to. They do have those bubbles. I was about to say they have bubbles outside. I yeah. don't know if I want to have a meal in a bubble. Apparently, you know, apparently the bubbles have gotten good reviews. I've heard good things about I've the bubbles. I've heard good things about the bubbles. Mm. Yeah. Came that, for the wine, that they're stayed very, for the bubbles. That, they're, that they are very socially distanced. That it's yep. not like some of these places that just have like a tarp over their entrance mm-hmm. and then like a whole bunch of seating. Like the genuinely socially distanced bubbles. And they're heated. Right. We're still not going. No. In a storyline so long (laughs) that Norris McWhirter and Roy Castle might rise from the grave to measure it, Detective Bethany and Daniel put their heads together to bring down Ray Weinstein, but it's Abby who really delivers justice, not that anyone notices. And nor did they really bring justice. No. David finally realises what we all knew a few weeks ago. This shipping Max to Marion's idea makes no sense and only takes a suicidal skip to make him come to this conclusion. Maria's suspicions of Gary push her into the arms and the pants of another until it's revealed that Gary's intentions were honourable. I vaguely remember that. Who was who? Who was she kind of pushed towards? Ali's pants. Oh, that's right. Man, I miss Ali. So do I. He was a good character, sometimes, and a good actor. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's getting work. I've thought we'd have mentioned that in Corey News if you had. All right. Well, I haven't heard anything. But he was in that wrestling movie, briefly. It wasn't the Joker. Was he in the Joker? He wasn't in the Joker, was he? No. No. He had the Joker here. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, I used to give him a hard time for that. Mm-hmm. For the Joker hair. Good times. Gavin is frequently hilarious. <laughs> the show really hates to reward Emma's kind heart or let her be happy by dropping Alina back in the street with a shiny new job at the Knicker Factory in Liam's old room. Nina's table decorations are adorable. They're still a thing. I'm quite happy about mm-hmm. that. Where little spoons Her that little say spoons talk to say, me. Yeah. Or leave me alone. Yep. Fuck off. Or <laughs> sit yourself down. <laughs> Ken might be on the move if Claudia doesn't kill him first. Ed is cool as a cucumber when he learns that his old friend Danny is gay. Hope is very excited to see Jade again and Ruby has a strict no drugs policy. <laughs> Moment of the week was going to be Abby walking away from the exploding car, but we bucked the trend and gave it to Brian and Cathy singing Lady Marmalade <laughs> in the Rovers instead. Because that was their Valentine's Day. Aww. And boring moment of the week was Alia not getting coffee at work, and that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Good. Shall we dive in? Yes, please. My dear. Yes, please. Our first storyline today is Home Under the Hammer. On Monday... David's aunt phone in Roy's Rolls trying to organise a mortgage, but despite having a whopping £70,000 deposit... Right, yeah. Yeah, mister, I have no money. It seems that the sinkhole is scaring the banks off, which you can understand. If you can't find the rest of the money, it looks like Tracy Barlow's going to get her mitts on number eight and Shona bites her lip, and that way she does when she's contemplating doing something rash. Mm -hmm. Later... The two of them get stuck into Steve, who's fresh out of a taxi, back on the street. He knows nothing about any of this until Tracy comes along, calling number eight perfect for them. And the McDonald's go off arguing. Sean thinks this might mean that they won't end up bidding, but David rightly points out that there are other people in the world who might, and they still don't have the money to buy it. Back at number one, Tracy is calling this a move in the right direction on the property ladder. She's living in a hovel, she says, deciding that the house that she was ready to buy last year has lost its luster. that she's grown now up that in. Ken has moved back in. Right, yeah. All it takes is your, is your dad to make it a hovel, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. Does he? He's reasonably tidy, isn't he? I would think so. David is back at Roy's Rolls and listens to Audrey talk about her three-week Caribbean cruise that she has planned with the money that she made from selling the flat. Which is not going to happen. Well, we come to that. Sh- yeah, sh- <laughs> nobody's, nobody's going on cruises right now. All the cruise lines are still shut down. I don't know why Coronation Street seems, the writers there seem to think that these old ladies can go on cruises again. Because you can't. There are no cruises. They're uh, shut down. It's fiction. But still, it's, a it's fiction cruise. in the time of COVID. Couldn't she be going on a nice, nice trip to, to Italy or something? Why does it have to be a Caribbean cruise? So Shona can talk her out of it. Yeah, but she could talk her out of other things. Why does it have to be? This is the second time a cruise has been mentioned on the show during, during COVID. It's kind of ridiculous. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> she's going on a cruise <laughs> with the money that she made from selling the, the, the salon flat she and David haven't heard from Gail since she got to that London David lies and says that he's working on getting the money together to buy the house and when she leaves Shona who's at work at the minute tells him that Audrey might be the answer to their problem but David is dead against it right presumably David is left looking after Roy's roles while Shona <laughs> chases after Audrey and brazenly just comes out and asks her for the money Audrey points out the history that she has with David and Nick and her money and how badly she was hurt before Shona suggests that Audrey just moves on 
All families fall out and it's better to spend money on a house than on a cruise that will end up getting cancelled because of COVID. So it was addressed. Yeah. Plus, Audrey probably buys Saga magazine, which is just full from cover to cover with adverts for cruises and probably some less reputable cruise companies who would still take your money off you. Right. Stephen Tracy appearing through the windows on number eight. Are there any reputable cruise lines? I don't know. I don't think any of them are reputable, are they? Caribbean Princess. That's the only one that I know. And Fred Olsen. Is it Fred Olsen? I've been on a Fred Olsen ship. Hmm. That was in the Canaries. Going to Lagomera, one of the smaller Canary Islands where they yeah. talk to each other in whistles. Ah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Nobody on any of those islands want any Manky Americans or British people coming to their <laughs> islands and spreading the coronavirus. Yeah. They say, no, thank you. Being loud, waving money. and GTF. P- picking up ornaments from people's houses thinking that they're in a souvenir shop. It's amazing to me that uh, New Zealand allowed Neil Gaiman back in. I thought he lived there. Well, he left because he and Amanda Palmer were on the on the skids. He left the safest place in the world to get away from his wife. And everybody thought they were heading towards a divorce, but apparently they've reconciled because he's back in New Zealand. Okay. During a pandemic. Did you watch the Britney documentary? Yes, I did. I loved it. I Even see- though I, it, it felt... It felt a little thin. I, I was hoping for more context that, you know, this was happening to other young women as well, this whole paparazzi thing and everything, and their fathers weren't trying to take them over and everything. I see that uh, Justin Timberlake's apologized. Yeah. Too little too late, Justin. Too little too late. Is it? Take your, take your curly ramen-headed hair and <laughs> out of here. Is a late apology worse than no apology? And he didn't write that apology. I'm sorry. His team wrote that apology for him. You know, and apologizes. If you had a team writing an apology, I think you get more than two pages out of it. Two apology, pages of notes. His apology to, and it's an apology to Brittany and to Janet. Um, and which, you know, both of them deserve more than an apology because he. What did he do to Janet Jackson? You don't remember that Super Bowl? Where he ripped her costume off and nipplegate happened. Oh, did she not know that was going to happen? She knew he was going to rip it off. She didn't expect her nipple to be exposed. And then afterwards, he kind of threw her under the bus and blamed her for it. Oh, dear. And it, it messed up her career because everybody was slut shaming her for it. When Imagine that ruining your career because you've got nipples. He was also complicit in it. So anyway. Anyway. Yes. Justin Timberlake. Still an asshole. We are not accepting this apology. Years, years too late. Many years too late. He's only apologizing anyway. because you brought it up. And I thought we were done. Uh, Stephen Tracy appearing. Did I say that? Stephen Tracy appearing through the windows number eight. Steve has agreed to join the bidding. Shona comes along and despite Steve saying that he wouldn't bid against her and David, Shona and Tracy have a bit of a ding dong with each other. Tracy pointing out that there's no blue plaque on the wall saying here lived David Platt and Shona (laughs) pointing out that Tracy is a selfish cow. Shona doesn't care who gets number eight as long as it's not her. Mm -hmm. 
Back at the factory, Nick and David are getting logged on to the auction site, but David is sick with worry. Meanwhile, Shona is outside and finds a very plot-friendly engineer working on a phone exchange box on the street. At number one, Steve wants a strategy, but Tracy has other plans. Think fast, stay focused, she'll take care of the bidding. Mm. And he lets her. Then Audrey, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory. She's prepared to give David the money after all. Yes. Now, now move your short arse and get logged in before Tracy gets her hand on her crown jewels. But not like that. <laughs> and number one, Tracy is dismayed when a second bidder logs in and she's fucking shell-shocked when the Wi-Fi goes down. Steve gets all manly and goes and shakes the router up <laughs> in his ear. Tracy demands that he installs a satellite. <laughs> It's a tiny little router, or router, I think. The, I, I think my my mouth just says router now. Yeah. But they're saying router, which sounds funny. Yeah, because when I when you say router, I think of rotor router. A router bigger. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a tiny little. Right. Well, ours is ours is a big. fucking behemoth, the size of that thing, and they want to upgrade it to a bigger one, for twenty five bucks extra a month. Yeah, un- unlimited but we data. Get, uh, yeah, and and it uh, it helps. It's got like built in security. Well, the one that we've got's got built in security. No, I think they ended their contract with. Uh, uh, we could talk about this later. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if your yeah, podcast has nobody... been derailed by our descriptions of a router, hmm, yes, nobody on the street seems to understand how online auctions work or how Wi-Fi works. <laughs> This was the most frustrating couple of scenes for me. It was just... It kind of resolves itself, but for a minute you're like, wait a minute. No, all the way through it's like, wait a minute. Because what happens next? Well, she needs a signal. Start. And outside, a very smug Shona is walking down uh, the street with a shovel on her shoulder. Your Wi-Fi's down. What a pity. But it's a case of the left hand not knowing what the right hand's doing because David's Wi-Fi is obviously down too. And Shona didn't know that Audrey had stumped up the cash for the house. So they're both going to lose it. Oopsie, says Shona, who bites her lip in that way she does when she's fucked up. She really likes uh, using the shovel. Yeah. So now everyone is struggling to remember how to set up their phones as a temporary hotspot. Why? David is bamboozled. Why? I can't remember the last time I did it. Why? Well, I, I do it all the time. But why do they need to do that? If they have phones that have internet, they have smartphones. Just log into the, uh, 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 the auction site on your phones. And bid on your phones. You can do that. You can access the internet on your smartphone. You don't need to use the laptop. They don't to want to use their own data, though. The internet. Because that's what the Wi-Fi is for. But if the Wi-Fi is down and you really want... The, but they're going to be using their own data anyway because they're using their phones as a hotspot. That's true. Yeah. So none of this makes any fucking sense. <laughs> they have... The writers on this show have no idea how Wi-Fi works, <laughs> or computers work, I, I think or they do. smartphones work. I think they're not really that bothered about it, and plus, it gives us an excuse to get Amy in here. Right, and it makes and it gives us an excuse to mock aging Gen Xers who seem to not know how to use computers and Wi-Fi and internet, even though all of that stuff was invented while we were children. David is bamboozled by the password requirements because it wants a letter, a number, and a special <laughs> character. 
Steve has enlisted a board Amy who will only help as she gets first dibs in the bedroom, which Steve has to concede. So the two sides get logged in and suddenly everyone is an expert on the finer points of auction bidding. Tracy, only they're not. Tracy is convinced that she's up against rat-faced David, who refuses to listen when Amy and Steve point out that it could be anyone. Who else would want to buy a house with a fucking sinkhole, says Tracy. Good point, says Amy. And the way that they're the way that they're the online auction is set up is because because Timbot four thousand says this does not compute. Thank you. Yeah, this <laughs> Steve says. You know, they're 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 Steve and Nick are both saying to them, it goes up in five hundred dollar increments, so you don't have to bid more than just the five hundred dollar increments. But they do. They bid like over the five hundred dollar increment. But the auction site doesn't show the five hundred dollar increments. It shows their their highest bid, which it shouldn't be doing. It should be showing the five hundred dollar increments. I don't think they're doing it in five hundred, and it, and everything you're saying dollar, you you mean pounds? I do mean pounds. I do mean pounds. But this is how this is how online auctions work. It doesn't show when when you put in your highest bid. If somebody else hasn't bid, yeah, I know it. It I've doesn't done, show your highest bid. It I've, shows. I've, up to the increments. I've won things on eBay before. I know right, how it works. right. So, how 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 is this not working that way? Because that's the problem with this. <laughs> well, the Wi-Fi is the problem. <laughs> the anyway. whole isn't it hilarious that you know all these Gen X parents need to get their their Gen Z kids to show them how to set up a hotspot? It's hilarious. It was quite funny. Was it? Was yeah. it really? Yeah. Or was it a cliche and unnecessary? No, I thought it was funny. Plus, it gets Amy in a scene. I don't know why you hate Amy so much. I love Amy. So the bidding goes back and forth, closer and closer to David's ceiling of 135,000. The plats are united. Tracy basically on her own bidding for her dream house against that shrimp faced plat worm. Even though it's not really her dream house. No. And poor David. <laughs> She's. Describing them not in, in very generous terms. Yeah, but it's hilarious. What did she call them? A, 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 a shrimp faced platform and rat faced earlier. Uh, yeah, I love the shrimp Jack faced. Jack P. Shepard must be reading that going, we have a fucking minute. <laughs> the shrimp the shrimp faced platform was my favourite, I think. They're at 135 when Nick agrees to throw in a grand. Ooh, thanks, Nick. But Tracy goes to bid 137. Steve cuts her off. They're already seven above his limit. And three minutes to go, and it looks like the Platts have it at 136 when a 137 bid comes in. The Platts are out. Tracy reckons that she's won when a bid of 138 comes in, and Steve switches off the hotspot. This stops now. Outside the factory, Tracy and David both think the other one has won. So this is why this, is, this fuming, is why they did the hotspot thing, so that Steve can turn it off. Tracy fuming that Shona tried to sabotage the whole thing. Debbie comes clopping along and looks like she's about to do a 180 and walk away from the when Tracy and David descend on her looking for answers, but she hasn't an idea who's won either. It's still with the auctioneers. She lies. Defeated, the Platts retreat to the Rovers, but then David gets a text from Nick. There's a light on at number eight. It must be the new owners. And Shona quietly agrees with the audience that this was way too quick, and off they go to find out who it is. David rings the bell, expecting it to be a property developer. Slum landlord more like, says Tracy, who now hates the house. Mm. But it's neither. It's Gail. And it takes David a, a painfully long time to realise that Gail isn't actually trespassing and that she's the one who's bought the house with a bereavement <laughs> dividend from Ted and instead seems keen to rudely blame her for not uh, for them not being able to buy the house. 
Seems there's been a miscommunication and David's not been answering his phone. She didn't know that Audrey had stumped up the cash, so it's left to Gail to save the day. David thinks that they can move back in, but Gail wants an apology first. Jog on, says David. In that case, you can fuck off back to the dogs and guns estate. And she slams the door on them. Right, she'll take the kids though. She's totally in, in the right here. David has been so awful to her the past couple of weeks. Timbot4000 says shit just got interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's totally in the right. She's totally in the right. He's been an absolute twat to her. Right. Her father <laughs> just died. And he he's care. been a shit. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, Poor Gail... Ted is dead. Poor dead Ted. Poor dead Ted. On Wednesday, Gail is meeting at number eight with the Undertaker. Ted wanted buried locally, apparently. Not an Undertaker. The Undertaker. The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Trademark. The Undertaker <laughs> reckons that gay Ted was a popular man. Right? And Gail starts building the guest list. She's named people in the room twice, and Nick, when Sarah suggests David. But Gail still isn't speaking to her son because he was rude and insensitive to her. Have you met David? Asks Sarah. That's his default setting. Right, but that's still no excuse. I hate it when people say that. Oh, that's just that's just the way he's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, maybe the way he's like he's a is monster. unacceptable. Right. Have a word. Gail and Audrey are at the tram station, back from a trip into town buying funeral clothes. David comes along and insinuates that Gail's been spending dead Ted's money and is generally just a ghastly shit to his mum. He doesn't care much about the funeral, doesn't want to have tea at number eight or talk to Gail. She's gazumped him. What kind of person does that? A shitty one, he says. She didn't gazump him. No. She outbid him. Right. But she didn't gazump him. Right. And she didn't know she she didn't do it on purpose. She was trying to help. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, another another it's, plot that could just be avoided by people speaking to each other, though, isn't it? It's also kind of unrealistic that even with that, even with that sinkhole in the back, there were only three bidders. Yeah, two of them represent the same interest. Family, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Back at the house, Gail is suddenly aware that she's alone in a big house and there's a sinkhole in the backyard. Audrey thinks that maybe Gail should just bite the bullet and apologise to David. For what? what? But Gail looks like she's prepared to stand her ground on this. She's already held out the olive branch. It's up to him now. That's right. I kind of seem to remember Gail trying to encourage Audrey to accept apologies from David and Nick. Right. With all the money and the Lillian right, Kelly yeah. stuff. <clears throat> she did. She did. So, so ever the peacemaker, Audrey meets up with David at Speeddal and tries to coax him into apologising and moving back in. But he doesn't want to be Gail's lodger and he thinks that she's on a power trip and it'll be a nightmare if she if he moves back. <laughs> Which, yeah. Audrey wonders what dead gay Ted would make of all this palaver. And this seems to give David some thought. So David and Shona go and see Gail and he apologises. Gail doesn't believe him, so Shona produces a tin of dog food and tells David to prove how sorry he is by eating it. <laughs> David doesn't think this is going to prove anything, but Gail, well, she could be convinced. And it was hilarious because she's like, well, David likes it. <laughs> right. Yeah, but David also likes to lick his own nuts. Mm-hmm. Both of them. David makes the mistake of sniffing the food and it gives him the book. And he makes a big enough deal about going to eat it that Gail puts an end to this and tells him to get his stuff from that dodgy estate. You're mm-hmm. back in. You ever eaten dog food? I have not. I knew a boy in my youth who had, who was like David Bowie, he had one brown eye and one blue eye. Oh, I also knew a boy like that. And, and. I wonder if it was the same boy. No. 
And he ate dog food, but he ate dry dog food. He didn't eat wet dog food. I've eaten wet dog food. Have you eaten wet dog food? Mm-hmm. Why? The trick for a bit. The trick is <laughs> is not to smell it. You smell it. It tastes nothing like it smells. It's very much like Lafroig in that manner. It tastes of nothing. It just tastes of water. But it smells of <laughs> smells of ass. That's how it smells. It's, but if you just pinch your nose and power through, you can. It's like I don't even know you. <laughs> I didn't eat the whole tin. I had a couple of bites though. Because I tried to prove that I was enjoying it. Because I had two forkfuls. What kind of dog food was it? It was pedigree chum. <laughs> it was chicken flavoured apparently. It didn't taste like chicken. I'd be very surprised if the chicken flavour tastes any differently to the actual ass flavoured pedigree chum <laughs> that they have. As they're moving in, during a quieter moment, David apologises properly for all the nasty things that he said and Gail apologises for springing her news about the house and Ted on him. Then David makes the mistake of mentioning how nice it is to have some money left after selling the place. He has plans to take the kids on holiday. Gail thinks this is a great idea once he's fixed the fucking sinkhole and done some DIY. After all, he's living under her roof rent free and mm-hmm. there is no bazinga. Yeah. She means it. And I think, rightfully so, after yeah. all the years of, well, this is my house, Gail. Right, if you don't yeah. like it, you can fuck off. Right, yeah, absolutely. She's getting her own back a little bit. Yes. And she's not wrong. He's living there practically rent-free. So, he can do a f- he, he can fix a few things. He can fix a stupid fucking sinkhole, even though that should be the the government's job. Or the council. Right. Which is kind of like government. Local government, yeah. yeah. When did this happen? This was months ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's surprising that house is not already in the sinkhole. I was, I'd quite enjoyed this. This was a kind of fun, yeah. light-hearted storyline. Yeah. I really enjoyed the faces Jack P. Shepard is making. <laughs> right, you know, with the, with the dog food. Like, he, pulls, he pulls some great faces there. He um, addressed something that I, I don't think. I wonder if this was in the script, mm-hmm. and I wonder if, or I wonder if this was something that he just made up on the spot. Mm-hmm. He has a history of making things up on the spot. Apparently, right, yeah. he made a a tweet about that whole. Well, it's just what does it say? I can't. Even I mean, know. it's just. I mean, it's just. Yeah, he does that all the he time. That he did the that fly. this week. It, did, it does that all the time. Uh-huh. He questions where Shona got the dog food or whether she's uh-huh. just wandering around with dog food in her pocket. <laughs> I appreciated the fact that they addressed that. Right, yeah. Wait, wait a minute, why is Shona just walking about with dog food? I know she's weird. Uh-huh. Although they've toned that down a little bit. She got it for she got it for David the dog. Which makes perfect he sense. He doesn't like the food that they can buy on the estate. Mm-hmm. So she buys it here the and then carries stuff. it home. Yeah, she brings lovely. the fancy stuff home for David. So we've kind of just reset, haven't we? There's a an unseen shift in the power in the house where mm-hmm. Gail owns a house now and it isn't David. But basically, we're just going to get all the plats, all five million of them, <laughs> back into number eight. And it's going to be business as usual. Well, Sarah won't be there. Sarah's living with Adam now. Right. So it's one fewer person. And Audrey doesn't live there. Where does Audrey live? She's got her own house. Oh, that's right. Because they fixed the, the damp. 
that was or something that she had. Yeah. yeah. Remember last week when we moved from a, a happy story on to uh, Johnny in jail. Uh-huh. Our next storyline today is Johnny on the inside. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> and there was a lot of it this week. On Monday, Johnny has made a friend. Someone we later find out is called Joe. Joe wants to talk to Johnny about screws, slipping on beans and the like, but Johnny is winding himself up about seeing cockroaches that aren't really there. Joe suggests a game of pool or a coffee, but Johnny has had enough and furiously he goes off to complain to the concierge of the prison about the living standards. Even though there's somebody, there's a prison guard sitting right Right there. there. Just lets this happen. Just sitting right there. This happens like all throughout these scenes. And I don't remember seeing a guard in the room ever before. They're constantly in the room now. Yeah, they're constantly in the rooms. And I don't think I've ever seen prison being depicted less like a prison. Because all they do is hang out and play pool in that room. They don't ever seem to be in their cells. Anyway. Later, Johnny hasn't had much luck. Gary can't see any cockroaches either. But before we can get to the bottom of this, a guard announces that it's locked down. There's been an incident. An incident incident turns out to be Joe, the guy who wanted pool and coffee. He's been found dead in his cell. Oh no! Johnny blames him for ignoring his cry for help. Gary says it wasn't Johnny's fault and it wasn't. No. Thanks to another storyline, the rover's Wi-Fi is down and Ryan is bending over trying to fix it. Right. Daisy that asks... That was not a bad scene. <laughs> a I, contender I, for I, moment of the week I, right there. I, I apologise for not realising how nice of an ass Ryan has. Daisy asks if he's turned it on and off, then asks if he's turned her on and off, which doesn't really make sense. And he treats the comment with the contempt it deserves. <laughs> Jenny, it seems, is waiting on a call from Johnny. She explains this to Maria in the bar who gets a call from Gary on her mobile. Joe's taken an overdose and died in his cell. Who the fuck's Joe? Jenny wants to appeal. Given the Aiden thing and Johnny's mental health, she needs to get him right out of there. In jail, somehow Gary has found out that the overdose was accidental. It wasn't deliberate. So, or he tells Johnny right. that. So it definitely wasn't Johnny's fault. But Johnny's barely listening because he sees a guy in a suit in the corner of the room. Gary is weirded out and leaves, and the guard has had enough of Johnny's shite. Back to your cell, you. And later, Daisy is moaning to Ryan about the lack of top-quality cock round about here. No wonder Jenny's <laughs> lumbered with cheating jailbird Johnny. And of course, Jenny overhears this and isn't happy. Daisy apologises. She claims to be worried that Jenny is going to get hurt by all this. And Jenny is touched that Daisy is worried, but tells her to keep her fucking opinions about Johnny to herself from now on. Seriously. On Wednesday... Jenny is prepping Carla to complain about the mice when she goes to visit Johnny. They're not caged animals, says Jenny, so we're to assume she's talking about the prisoners. <laughs> she has plenty of messages to pass on, which made me wonder why she doesn't go and visit instead. Because they probably can only have one visitor a day. Which seems to be true when that's convenient. And when it's not convenient, people are backwards and forwards and they're constantly on the phone. Well, I mean, it makes it makes sense because, you know, because it's prison, but also because it's COVID. Prison. You know, they only have like a strict amount of visiting hours per day. So this is Carla's day. Maybe tomorrow will be Jenny's day. It isn't. She's particularly worried that since Joe died, Johnny's thoughts are going to be on Aiden. In jail, Gary has asked around and no one else has seen mice or cockroaches. Johnny isn't paying attention though. He's in an imagined reverie about Joe and his mum, speculating that she talks about him all the time to her friends and that Joe has hundreds of mates and that he was the life and soul of the party. Joe was? No, I don't Joe. think so. This guy, Joe? Because 
wasn't Joe kind of in trouble with some of the other, like in the brief conversation they have where Joe is doing Johnny's chores for him. And they talk about this like openly right in front of this guard that the, the Johnny's assignments are being taken care of by Joe. Mm-hmm. And they say something also about some of the other prisoners not liking Joe for some reason. That, oh, did they? Yeah. I just remember him talking about somebody slipping. On beans. And beans, one of the screws. Yeah. Gary feels awkward at Johnny being so fucking weird and leaves just as Johnny starts seeing something in the corner that he describes as not being right. Mm-hmm. And later, a jittery Johnny is meeting Carla, trying to insist that everything's fine. But Carla's not buying it. Fess up, she says. And he admits that he thinks that his eyes are playing tricks on them with the mice and the cockroaches. He's seeing all sorts. Like what? asks Carla, who thinks that he should speak to a doctor. Johnny admits that he saw Aiden, and that's how he knows what he's seen isn't real. Carla thinks if this is psychosis then he needs help, but Johnny feels normal apart from the visions. She points out that she ended up on a fire escape with her psychosis. He says that isn't going to happen to him because he's in jail and he doesn't have the necessary access to a fire escape. And Jenny can't know about this. He promises Ugh. to talk to the doctor if she'll keep stum. Right. Fair enough. Carla goes to see Roy and he remembers when Carla was like this and how she begged him not to tell anyone, but he did anyway and she hated him for it. Carla apologises retrospectively. That was quite a sweet scene. Mm -hmm. But it's still worried about telling Jenny. Roy thinks it's up to Johnny to tell his wife, and in the short term, she can make Jenny feel better by lying. And Carla's surprised that Roy would take a dishonest stance about this. On Friday, in prison, Johnny tells everyone that he can see a cat. No one is interested in hearing about what animals Johnny can see, especially when he reveals that he knows that it's not real. Gary, who might get bail today, but doesn't, tells Johnny to get himself seen to. Back at the pub, Daisy claims to have cleaned the bar and puts herself in a mood by asking if Jenny is visiting Johnny today, but apparently not. It seems that he has a key worker visit or something. Daisy offers to help considering that she's part of the family and this sets Jenny off to arrange a special get-to-know-Daisy dinner for tonight and she plans to invite Carla, which causes Daisy to do the two-second smile fade of the week. Daisy says that she's going to cook. Can you cook? Well, I haven't poisoned anyone. Yeah, don't poison that's, Carla. That's not a... Women can't cook thing again. Well, Daisy. Daisy, I suppose. Johnny is on the phone with Carla, angry that she grasped him up to the guards. Now he's getting referred to a psychiatrist and his cellmate thinks that he's a lunatic. Carla tells him again to tell Jenny, but he doesn't want to worry her. Carla says that he keeps doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Someone, Something that she attributes to someone much more clever than her. Do you know who said that? It was uh, Albert Einstein. No, it wasn't. Oh, no, it was... Um, no, it was Albert Einstein, wasn't it? Nope. That uh, a sign of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Wasn't that Einstein? Nope. Was it um, Freud? Nope. Who was it then? Here's the interesting thing. The earliest recording of that is from a 1983 Rita Mae Brown mystery novel, Sudden Death. It's a fallacy. It's a, fa- it's a fallacy. The, the Voltaire quote. What's the Voltaire quote again? I don't know, but it's not the but whole sign of insanity is doing the same thing over no, and over no, again. No, that wasn't him. No. And that wasn't Einstein. The internet says it was Einstein, but it wasn't. And apparently... Did you uh, really look this up? Mm-hmm. And apparently uh, Marie Antoinette didn't say... Let, let them eat cake. Yeah, she didn't that. say that either. Yeah. 
I knew that. And the Churchill quote about in your 20s, you're, you're less conservative and all that sort of thing. Uh-huh. He didn't say that either. Yeah. And that uh, that Alan Rickman supposed <laughs> quote about how when, when, when he... I don't think he was on the list. When, when he grows old, you know, he'll he'll still be reading the Harry Potter books and his grandchildren will say, again, granddad, and he will say always. Yeah, he never said that either. There's a lot of things that famous people are supposed to have said and didn't. Yeah. But I'm really surprised because I thought for sure that that was Einstein who said. Yeah, and there's no evidence that he did. That's interesting. And the character who says it in the novel can't remember where she heard it from. But mm. but that was the first. Um, have you read any Rita Mae Brown? I have not. Yeah. She's good. She She writes mysteries with cats in them. She's a lesbian. The cat or <laughs> Rena Mae Brown. Oh, there's a joke in there somewhere, isn't there? <laughs> yes, but not one that even we can <laughs> say on the air. Me- <laughs> Meow. Meanwhile, <laughs> Johnny promises to tell Jenny himself and asks Carla not to. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jenny, who doesn't work at the factory, is in the factory chanting, Sarah, of all people. <laughs> Why is Jenny there? She has nobody. She's oh wait, look- she has she's, Carla. She's looking for Carla. But all Sarah knows is that she's away calling Johnny about something. Jenny tries to argue this out, seeing as Carla visited Johnny yesterday, so why should we should need to talk to him again today? Luke says Sarah, I don't fucking know. You ask me a question, it's not my fucking fault you don't like the answer. Maybe go speak with Carla if you're so sure that I misunderstood them. Right. Plus, stop asking me questions about the woman who slept with my husband. Right. Which they do cover. Right. Outside the rovers, Jenny accosts Carla about I this. I don't understand Jenny's logic, though. You saw him yesterday, so why would you call him today? Mm-hmm. I call my dad every day. But that's because he had <laughs> a heart attack right. and he's still in rehab. But yeah, I call him every day to make sure he's all right and taking his medicine. Is he? Well, well he says he is. He, that one time, supposedly, he, had, he hadn't gotten his meds for two days, and that's when he sent that text. But apparently he's getting them now. Carla admits it and tells Jenny that Johnny had promised to tell her himself what it's about (laughs) and she promised Johnny that she wouldn't say. Jenny demands to be told but Carla sticks their guns which results in Carla not receiving an invite to Daisy's get to know you dinner. Oh, Carla is heartbroken. (laughs) She is. She begs. No, she doesn't. Later, Johnny is good to his word and is explaining his visions to Jenny over the phone. Mice. Cockroaches. A cat, person, woman, man, Chair. camera, TV. <laughs> oh, and Aiden. She checks that he knows that Aiden is dead. He only ever sees him from behind. <clears throat> Johnny tells her that he has an appointment with a psychiatrist. In the meantime, he's taken some comfort from seeing the back of Aiden's head. Back at the pub, Jenny. And his, uh, his uh, cufflinks. Well, we're on his cufflinks. Aiden's. He has these cuff, distinctive cufflinks that have something on them. And I can't remember what they were. Person. <laughs> man. Back at the pub, Jenny explains to Daisy that the dinner's off because Carla has been speaking to Johnny secretly. Daisy offers to go punch Carla in the face. Yeah, like that's going to happen. Carla would rip Daisy's throat out and eat it in front of her. And there's a large <laughs> part of me that hopes that this happens very soon. 
<laughs> Jenny, though, is too upset that Johnny is seeing things and remembering five objects that you could probably see in front of him and is an indicator of something, just not the indicator that he thinks it is. Mm-hmm. In prison, Johnny is still of the opinion that it's a good idea to tell all his fellow prisoners what visions he's seeing. His cellmate thinks that he's a Fruit Loop when Johnny gets angry that he's been disturbed and can't see the back of Aiden's head anymore. That's his cellmate, who I week. don't think is wearing any underwear. Would it surprise you to know that I didn't notice that? He's constantly got his hands in his sweatpants. Oh, is that what it was? I thought maybe had a... It's like... You can count the change in his pocket, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Dodgy looking guy, though. Yeah, it's a strange prison, isn't it? It's a strange prison setup, And I guess it has to be because of restrictions and whatever. But it seems that they've... They've dropped Johnny and on the, the Red Hand gang have been arrested. <laughs> it's like, just, he's like in a, he's the old guy in Oliver Twist. Right. There's, There's one other old guy in a non-speaking role that kind of sits in the corner sometimes, but mostly it's just Johnny and the youth. Right. And Gary. And Gary, who hasn't been, who hasn't been tried yet. No, he's still, still in remand. He's still in remand. And yet he's with the regular prisoners. Which I think is, is what happens. That Crazy. 60 days in thing is, right. is yeah. what happens. It's a yeah. interesting So he's been, he's been held. With a general population. Right. Without, without having been tried. Mm-hmm. So. No sure. innocent until proven guilty there. I'm sure Amnesty International are working on it as we speak. I used to belong to Amnesty International. Like a slave to them or what? Or? No, I was... Because that would be news. Because <laughs> there was an Amnesty International club at my high school and I belonged to it. I also uh, belonged to an Amnesty International club. In high school? That's, yeah. I think it was, yeah, because it was because of Simple Minds. Because <laughs> Simple Minds had the Amnesty International, the candle wrapped oh, in the barbed right, wire. yeah. Had that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, we shared the we shared the library with uh, the young Republicans. I went to one meeting. I went to more than one. We didn't My talk favorite. about anything really to do with Amnesty International. We talked about Simple Minds quite a bit. Mm. No, we we talked about stuff having to do with Amnesty International. Did Simple Minds come up? No. Hmm. My favourite teacher, Mr. Cunningham, was the advisor for it, so I quite liked Mr. Cunningham. Question asked. We are question answered. We're still Facebook friends. Him and his really? hus- Yeah, him and his husband live somewhere they where they were living in DC. I think at least one of them works for Don't dox your teacher. A diplomat or something. There we go. That'll do. <laughs> How were you enjoying the Johnny in jail storyline? Like I said, it, I don't know what the universe is saying to me that so many things that I'm watching on the television have to do with fathers and daughters. See, I think that it always did. It's just that because of what's happening, you notice them a, bit, a little bit more. I uh, find the same thing. When my uh, papa had a heart attack, uh-huh. all of a sudden, everyone in the TV is having a heart attack. You just kind of you become more attuned to it, I think. Yeah. I don't think the universe has particularly got it in for you as far as <laughs> your uh, <laughs> your TV shows are concerned. Yeah. But you do become more 
am aware of that. Yeah. Huh. So, <sighs> I, a bit depressing. it makes more sense than the whole Wi-Fi thing going down. Although I still don't understand why Jenny was not able to call the prison with the Wi-Fi being down. Oh, it's like our phone. Our phone's through our, our internet. Yeah. I don't think it's a proper landline. No, no, it doesn't plug into the landline wall, but still, I mean... Let's not go back to that storyline again. He's, We're moving he's, forward. He's got her cell phone number. She has a cell phone. Why would he be calling the the landline, so to speak? That makes no sense. As as uh, as Rosie Perez's son in The Flight Attendant said so aptly in the last episode, the only people who call the landline are telemarketers. Yeah, we never answer Bill collectors. I think we have approximately 40 messages on that. Yeah. But nobody ever listens. The eye doctor, for some reason, called that number to tell me my glasses were ready. I've said it before. That phone rings. People in the living room stare at it until it stops (laughs) and then just move on with their day. (laughs) Talking of moving on with their day, our next storyline today is Lucky White Feather. I just can't with this anymore. I really can't. I'm so fed up with this. They're they're making Leanne less and less like Leanne by the day, and I'm just I'm so tired. I'm so very tired. It's the um I I get the whole grief thing. Mm-hmm. And I think up for the past couple of weeks, it, it seems to have made a bit more sense, you know, that you don't mm-hmm. want to see nobody and you just kind of... Right, she needs help sleeping and stuff. All of that makes sense. But it takes a bit of a turn this week. Yes. A very sudden turn. Yes. A turn that if you weren't wearing your seatbelt, you'd be going flying a, through a window. A cookie turn. On Monday, Leanne's phone is ringing. It's Nick, but she doesn't answer it. And it seems that Simon's pissed off with Nick for being consumed with Sam at the minute. Leanne is fine with this, though. Nick sends her a text asking to meet for lunch and Leanne wants to go but only if Simon goes with her. She finally thinks that she's up to it. And she makes it. Simon gets an urgent text from Jacob with another draw, another job but Simon more or less dismisses it and then Nick arrives and he's brought Sam and Leanne pretends that he, she's happy with this development. Mm-hmm. His school had to close because of the state of the toilets or something. <laughs> and the meeting is pretty awkward mostly because... Uh, Leanne's put on a brave face Nick is constantly looking like he's on the verge of tears as he explains about Natasha staying on in that London for a little bit longer he offers to help with bills but Leanne says that they're doing fine which they're not No. afterwards Simon is concerned that Leanne didn't tell Nick about packing her job in but she promises to tell him later she sees Steve outside number 8 in another storyline and they catch up Steve explains about Tracy wanting to buy the place and it's a good idea moving on assumes Leanne no Keeping Tracy happy, Steve insists. And Leanne and Simon descend on the community garden so Leanne can stare miserably at a bare branch on Oliver's apple tree. Back home, Leanne it's, bemoans... It's not there. There's a, there's a bud. Was there? Yes. Back home, Leanne bemoans that Steve can move on so easily, even though he hasn't. But Simon tells her that she did well today and these things take time. And then she secretly makes arrangements with that Jacob guy. Mm-hmm. On Friday, and this is where it takes a little bit of a turn... Leanne has woken up in a great mood because she found a white feather last night before bedtime and she's decided it's a sign from Oliver that he's in heaven and so she was able to sleep without her pills. Simon suggests that maybe it's just a feather. 
that it came out of her pillow. Mm -hmm. But Leanne won't hear it, and so Simon lets it go. And later, Leanne seems to be ordering something on her phone with her credit card, and she hides the phone and the card when Simon comes in looking for his phone, which is in the fruit bowl. When he leaves, she's back on the phone, and she's got the card out again. And what she's done is phone a TV (sighs) medium called Crystal Weber. It had to be Crystal something, didn't it? Who, of course, agrees with Leanne that the feather is a sign from Oliver. It proves that he loves her. Do call again, says Crystal, who thinks that this interaction represented value for money. What are we in the 1980s? 1980s. Do we have TV mediums still? We don't have TV mediums anymore. Because they're... Because they're, they're all they're online. No, because they're all online. You, you, you don't... They don't have TV shows anymore. It's all online. And all of our famous ones are dead. Who was the one that South Park called the biggest douche in the universe? John something. Oh, I can't remember his name. I don't think he's dead, but I think he's in prison. Is he? (laughs) In prison for telling the truth. John Edwards? Something like that. Something like that. That's a a very funny, very funny South Park. Yeah, this is not a thing anymore. I, maybe it's a thing. Do you think it's a thing in the UK? No, I don't think so. No. Like, it's literally on television. But thanks for making us Scottish. <laughs> this Crystal Weber, if that is your real name. Because all mystic people would either be Scottish or Irish. Who was the uh, the medium that they had in when it was Nigel Havers? I was hoping that Nigel Havers was going to come back from the grave. Remember the medium that uh, Roy went to disprove with his motorhead cap on and he tackled Nigel Havers to the ground and all that. Oh, that's Remember right. That? That right, that lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at least that was like in person. Right. That still happens, I believe. Well, yeah, not anymore because of COVID, but to have, because that's what that, that douchebag used to do. <laughs> he used to get people in a room and stuff and... Cold read them. Right, Yeah. Only not really, they were plants in the audience. Which happens in another storyline uh, this week as well, about cold reading going on. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I'm not... Reading of boxes of, of frozen fish. No, 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 no. But, well, yes, so that's another <laughs> one. No, I, d- I don't appreciate that we're now going down this road of Leanne being so detached from really detached from herself and from her own grief that she's looking at a, a medium to provide her right. comfort. Right. How do we go from white feather to calling a medium? It's a leap. It is a leap. I mean, the white feather and as it was was quite the leap. A you white know, feather is supposed to mean that you're, you're a traitor and <laughs> don't want to join the army. Is it? Yeah. It's during the, during the wars, Young men who were conscientious objectors would get white feathers in the mail because they're chickens I'm as and guil- cowards. I'm as guilty of this as, as anyone. But any time you hear someone tell the story of when they went to the crematorium to say goodbye to their loved one, mm-hmm. with a sad sniff, they look out the window and there's a rabbit right. or something that right. runs across the lawn Yeah, at the at the precise moment that the loved one is going through the curtains for the last time. Uh-huh. And and I've done it. Right, and we I've all do said it. it. 
We all do I, it. I, I still I do it. can't remember if I actually saw it. I don't know if the crematorium employs someone to hide <laughs> around the corner with a rabbit <laughs> just to let it go at a particular moment. But you see things like that at that particular time and you associate with the, right. the person that you've lost. Right. I don't think I've ever done that with a feather. No. Or with, or, you know, your immediate response afterwards was not, I'm going to call a medium now. Right. And try to talk to my dead loved one. You take it as a sign of comfort. Like, uh, the or day... Your, your pillow's leaking. Right. The day, the day before I left for Florida, we got an unexpected package from my dad that had some beer steins and a dolphin plate on it. And I, you know, posted a picture on um, Facebook and I said that, you know, the dolphin plate seemed to me kind of a sign that everything was going to be okay because dolphins are a sign of... <laughs> you know, life and, and everything. However, the day my, you know, the day after my dad had the heart attack, remember when I went on my drive, I just, just like, I have to get out of the house and I just kind of drove around the country. Like practically every field I drove by had a flock of sandhill cranes in it. As you know, cranes are a sign of death. Yes, they are. You know, and after the third field, I literally said out loud, oh, come on, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Cut this shit out with all this fucking symbolism. But no, nature was in a <laughs> symbolic mood that day. Yeah, because you don't really, you don't tend to see them this time of year. But again, if you did, you just, you wouldn't think anything of it. Right. And then on the way home, I was following a hearse. Oh, lovely stuff. Which is like, okay, let's really hit me over the head with this symbolism, please. And then when you got home, I was cutting the grass for the scythe. <laughs> and you were wearing your black robe. I was. <laughs> I was feeling very skeletal that day. <laughs> Our next storyline today. It was snowing that day too. Now that I think it about was. it. Right. It's winter. New Year's Day. Alina popped off <laughs> on Wednesday. Instead of popping out. I have. I'm, she pops up. I am now uh, off. concerned. That they're going to try to do something here? And I wasn't concerned before because it was just a nice, fun storyline. But right. the way this is going I don't is like starting it. to make me concerned. Yeah, I, and I don't I, like I it. I really don't want this to happen. No, I don't think anybody does. On except for the writers. Tyrone is enjoying an empty cup of tea when Fizz <laughs> comes downstairs complaining that Hope won't let her do her hair because she doesn't do it as well as Alina did. Tyrone takes Oops. a bit of heart takes us to heart a bit, assuming that he's been blamed for expelling Alina from the house when all he did was arrange for her to move back to her old place. Fizz wonders exactly why her head's just been bitten off. And later, Alina returns her key to Tyrone at the garage and they chat about Hope's hair and how the girls are missing her. And she appreciates this because she had an interview for a job that she thought had gone well and then she got a rejection ten minutes later. Tyrone tries to put a positive spin on it. The position was probably already filled, he says, but Alina reckons that maybe she's just very rubbish. <laughs> Ty thinks that she should stick to what she knows, like nails and stuff, and Alina takes offence at this and stomps off. So Fizz comes round to see Ty at the garage and he explains about Alina taking the hump. Thinking about it, Fizz has no idea why Alina wouldn't appreciate the reminder of being trafficked. Mm -hmm. Oh, pig's tits, says Ty, <laughs> and Fizz tells him that he has an apology to make. Yeah, it was, that was... And this is the point that I'm becoming concerned. Uh, that, that was very well done, you know, Fizz saying. Why yeah. on earth would she be... Yeah, because as it was coming out of his mouth, I was thinking, oh, come on, Tyrone. Really? But, but it proves that he doesn't know her. Yeah. 
And he's not really thinking. No, because he doesn't know her. No. Which is why was she in the house in the first place? Fizz brings Alina home and she tells Ty that an apology isn't needed and she really did enjoy doing nails back home. So Ty mentions that she should set herself up in salon even and even helps her look for a college course on going into business for herself. Yes, because that's all it'll take is one one college course in business mm-hmm. to set up a salon. Right. Yeah, because Fizz and did. And I did notice that Fizz went off for a bath. Yes, Fizz goes off for a bath and uh, Tyrone mentions that Fizz did one course in antiques before taking the job with Gary. Well, that's what, a, a three-hour course maybe? Apparently she needed a course in antiques to work for Gary. <laughs> At the furniture thing. Right. She probably did that on her own. She's like, oh, I'm going to take this course on antiques so I can be an expert. She watched four episodes of Lovejoy back to back. That's what she did. <laughs> and the repair shop. On Friday at Tyrone's are out of bacon and shop. sausage. Yeah, everyone thinks it's just like the nicest TV that, and, and a time that needs nice TV. Yeah, it's just really it nice really TV. is comforting to just sit and watch like a ton of episodes of that over and over again. Mm-hmm. They're out of bacon and sausage. Fizz thinks this might be for the best, but Ty has sent his ways for Brecky like an old man. Fizz thinks that he's lovely and also predictable and proves it by listing all of his itinerary for the day. Seemingly, he takes a shit at noon. What an animal. Ty seems a little put out that his partner and his gran <laughs> can predict his every moment and not just the one that, that he has at noon. <laughs> that was hilarious. And I love the fact that, you know, Fizz and and Evelyn are, are together and taking the piss out of him and, mm-hmm. and laughing with one another. Evelyn is enjoying this an awful lot. Yes, she is. And at two o'clock <laughs> and at three o'clock. And then what happens at four o'clock? Later, Alina's heading into the factory when she's... Thanks Tyrone for his brilliant idea because she's enrolled at some doing folks nails for fun and profit thing at college. <laughs> then along comes Fizz garbling something unintelligible about something at school that she needs to attend and she ropes Tyrone into looking after the furniture thing while she's gone, even though he's fixing cars and they're supposedly busy. At the furniture thing, Tyrone is struggling getting a carpet in at the furniture thing when Alina comes along to offer her help and buy him a coffee for some reason afterwards. As this is going on, a suspicious man in a suspicious van looks like he may have a suspicious plan. Well done. Oh, that unintentionally rhymes. (laughs) Unintentionally, he says. Of course it's intentional. (laughs) Later, Alina has treated her and Tyrone to empty Costa Cups when they spot the suspicious man loading his suspicious van. Tyrone accuses him of thievery, but the guy uses cold reading techniques on Ty and announces that he had an arrangement with a woman who worked there, which Ty understands to be Fizz, and he and Alina end up helping the guy load up his van. She's very strong, says Ty. That was quite funny. That was very funny. Isn't it, why didn't he lock that place up when they went to go get coffee? Why did it take two of them to go and get coffee? <laughs> Why didn't he lock the place up? He's like left that door wide open for the suspicious man. He could have just pulled that suspicious van right into the building. (laughs) Was it the same guy you think that robbed uh, Chesney's stall at the the market? No. No. That'd be be nice if it was, actually. I think it is the same guy who broke into the back of, of the van and stole the... The, the report. report. Dum, dum, dum. 
When Fizz gets back, it's late and she notices that they've shifted a lot of stuff. And when Ty explains what happened, it obviously sounded better in his head. <laughs> like, why did it take two of them to go for a coffee? Predictably, predictably, they've been ripped off and Gary is going to fucking kill them. From prison. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure she can patch things up before Gary gets out of prison. Right. It'll so, be fine. The main thrust of this is it Tyrone and Alina spending more time together this week than they have done in the entirety previously? Or is the main thing here getting ripped off? Or is it both? I'm hoping it's the ripped off thing because that just that just seems more interesting to me than Tyrone and Alina having an affair, which the, just... They're making a big deal of this, though. They're making off. a big deal of Tyrone getting the blame or or sensing that he got the blame for Alina moving out. How does this guy even? How does this guy even know to? I mean, has he been? How long has that guy with the van been sitting outside there waiting for an opportunity to go and steal? It just seemed to be happening along. Gross rugs. <laughs> they make a big deal about. Ty, and they're making a big deal about Ty being a creature of habit. They're making a big deal about Ty saying that he's going to surprise them. They're making a big deal about Ty turning 40. They're, they're pushing this Alina thing, mm. and, I, and I want them to stop. Yeah, nobody wants this. Nobody asked for this. It was fine the other week when it was just for laughs. Funny, yeah. Because it was, it was it funny. Was funny it, was it was cute, and it was over. And then we move on to other stuff. No, no, we have to make it awful. Yeah. Talking of Tyrone, the, though. One of the few... I have the Tyrone shirt that will be getting sent to Manchester this week. Michigan State. And I kind of... What would you call that? I love it blue. That's green. Or a, or a heather green. Yeah, I love it blue is green. I love it blue is green. Mm-hmm. No. That's... Yeah, that's... That's a kind of... I it's green and white Heather. because it's it's a Michigan State. Yeah, Heather's a purple, isn't it? I don't know. It's a it's a very light. Yeah, it's a light shade green. Of, shade of green. It's it's nice and it's kind it's a of Tyrone color. I think. And it's kind of retroy, which I think would would suit him. You yeah. know the style and everything. What was what was the shirt this week? It was. Um, oh, I don't think it had it a, was California. A place it was someplace it? in California. Because I remember noticing it. It was, uh, I know, it's a Tribeca. Was it Tribeca? Tribeca was um, Wednesday, I think. Yeah. The film festival. <laughs> I guess. Or just loft apartments in the triangle <laughs> below canal. I don't know. <laughs> Our penultimate storyline today Billy's Juice. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. You said like, juice, right? Yeah. Not juice. Not juice. Okay. Billy's Juice. On Friday, Billy's got a package. But not like that. He's wearing very, very, tight very pants. tight trousers. His skinny jeans. You can't just... count the change in his back pocket. Again, again, you know. 50 pence. Again. Sand surface with a nice ass shot. It's a juicer for Valentine's Day from Paul. Someone doesn't get the problem, but for Billy, this is the worst thing to happen to him in the world. <laughs> it makes him sad. And Summer points out that Paul is a thoughtful man who just made the kind of mistake that she or Billy could have made themselves. Right. Billy, who made the mistake of becoming addicted to painkillers. And also 
killed someone accidentally and then ran off. At the factory, Paul is chatting to Todd when he gets a call from Billy wanting to meet up later for five minutes and Todd watches and listens on carefully. Then Billy, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory with a juicer calling it inappropriate. It's an inappropriate juicer. <laughs> Paul points out that he ordered it before he got dumped. And Paul says, Billy loves the juice, so he might as well keep it as a breakup present. Right, yeah, because Paul can't be bothered with juice. No. Paul is not on the juice. No, it's definitely, out of the two of them, it was uh, Billy who loved the juice. Yes. Paul, not so much. Right. Billy accepts on the proviso that Paul accepts that they've split up. So it's agreed. The idea of Billy juicing whenever he likes brings Paul some joy. And all through this, Todd is watching on like a villain on the side of the stage in a Shakespearean play. Right. I mean, behind a rack of clothing. Right. Not being chased by a bear. Paul's in the rovers and Ed is about to join him when Billy and his man bag and Todd come in together and Paul rushes out. And that's as far as we get with that this week. So Mm. Todd and Billy. I hope not. They're going to the pub now. Together. Ugh. Please don't. I hate this. Still, it was That's nice to mo- see Ed yeah. in a very brief cameo role. Cameo role. It was, um, uh, I don't know. It was, uh, if I needed more reasons to dislike Billy, this week gave me one. Well, you don't like, you don't like it, the way his ass looks in skinny jeans. I don't like the problem that he had with the present. Right. I don't like how he assumed that the present was bought post breakup. Right. And as an ulterior. Right. That there was an ulterior motive to it. Get over yourself, Billy. Right. Seriously. You might have an ass to die for. But that. <laughs> but it's not everything. Well. Thankfully, that was all we got. I hope he doesn't preach in those things. As he's juicing. <laughs> Work. Our final storyline today is Ray Weinstein. On Ugh. Monday, Abby turns up to Debbie's office, curious why Debbie gives more than two fucks about this auction thing that's going on in another storyline, and wondering why she isn't behaving like someone who's just murdered her business partner. Debbie tries to convince Abby how genuine she is, telling her that last night she was sat in her car outside the cop shop, contemplating turning herself in. Or maybe it would make Abby happy if Debbie had a full mental breakdown. Abby takes this in and falls for it. And Debbie calls Ray Weinstein at his bedsit. He's not happy that they got back less than he paid for number eight. She tells him to cool his jets and he'll be sending himself in Turkey soon enough. She hangs up and in comes Miles, who has news that the passport will be ready tomorrow and wondering if Ray is looking forward to Turkey. The only place Ray Weinstein is going, says Debbie, is the fucking jail. On Wednesday. Why she trusts Miles? I don't know. Because Miles has never been her fixer. Right. He's He's always been raised fixer. Right. And she's gone this long without telling him. Why would she just tell him now? I don't know. Because plot. Well, sure. On Wednesday, Kev's up and about, but Abby, who apparently didn't sleep well, is already ready and off for breakfast and isn't keen to wait for him. She blames it on her doodads. So Abby goes to see Debbie and floats the idea telling Kev. No chance, says Debbie. She hasn't robbed a pick and mix here. She's killed someone and they must keep it quiet. Then David is at the garage complaining about his mum to Kevin Abbey when Abbey spots gay Mick snooping around the bistro. Mick asks after Ray and 
uh, who he describes as the owner of the place, but Kev, much to the chagrin of Abby, puts him right, telling him that Ray is AWOL and Debbie Webster is in charge now, his sister. Much obliged, says Gamick, and he wanders off. Back home, Abby tries to call Debbie to warn her about a homosexual gangster, and Kev is suspicious <laughs> as to why she suddenly gives a solitary fuck about his sister after everything that happened. Abby thinks Debbie needs looking after, and she owes her. Forced to give Kev something, she admits that Debbie saved her life when she was drugged. Kev doesn't think this amounts to very much considering she did a runner after calling 999. If Gamek wants to know where Ray is, Debbie can deal with it. And at this, Abby admits that Ray is dead and it were Debbie what killed him and dumped his body in the river. Which, coming out of her mouth, she should have realised how... This sounds ridiculous. Ridiculous that sounds. And Kev, to his credit, doesn't seem to believe it. Debbie is no one's guardian angel and now Abby could get done as an accessory to murder. So he goes to see his sister at the bistro and tells her that he knows. And she panics, claiming self-defence. She's not a murderer. He wonders why she never went to the police and how she managed to lob him in the river. Hasn't this worked out nicely for her, getting Ray out of the way she's got all this money now? And she claims to be broken, but he doesn't know... She claims to be broken, but he doesn't know how she sunk this law. He demands that she goes to the police. She'll have nothing to worry about if it was self-defence. And if she won't do it, he flipping well will. She plays a family card, but he didn't think that that counted for very much a week or two ago when she was bulldozing the street. Again, he remarks that she's landed on her feet with the bistro and stuff, but she mentions debt and that Ray isn't the shit-hot businessman people think that he is. Kev seems to notice the present tense, but he lets it slide. He just wants Abby out of all this. Then we need to keep it a secret, says Debbie. So Kev goes home and still isn't swallowing any of it. It's all a bit too convenient. He thinks that she's lying and he thinks that Ray is alive and well. And Abby's like, what? Mm-hmm. He explains the present tense thing and how Debbie waited to hear what she was being accused of before responding. Right, yeah, because she seemed to, at, at, you know, initially think that maybe he was talking about the whole her getting Ray out of the country thing, you know, because she seems a little relieved when he says something about Ray being dead. Mm. Like, oh, all right, yeah, I can cover this up. When Abby is unmoved, Kev decides to fuck this for a game of soldiers and goes off to finish an MOT. During this, though, he sees Debbie drive off and he's about to give pursuit when Abby steps in front of the car. Kev is pissed that he'll never find out where she was going, but Abby convinces him to opt for the quiet life and leave this sleeping bear unpoked. Mm-hmm. See? There is a bear on the chase this week, isn't there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't poke it. Yeah, don't poke gay Mick. Unless he asks you to. It's a shame because she goes to see Ray. He's not worried about Kev, but is very worried about Mick the Marigold, who he owes a hundred grand to. I quite like Mick the Marigold. Because mm. he just cleans up the mess. <coughs> yeah. But a hundred grand? That man has a hundred grand. Or has done a hundred grand's worth of cleaning up for for Ray. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of cleaning up. That is a lot of cleaning up. And Mick doesn't look like he has that kind of resource available to him. I don't know. I mean, let's let's not forget all the mess Todd was in with him. But that was only for like what? A week. Like seven grand. Oh God, something. it was. It was a pitiful amount of money, right. wasn't it? I think well, was like, you know, in the grand I scheme can of pay that off for you. Yep. What the hell, Todd? Yeah. So it's quite a leap from like seven grand to a hundred grand. But then again, you know, Ray has 
lots and lots of hotels, apparently. So Yeah, there's probably another game mix somewhere else that you right. the same amount to. Right. Ray needs to get the fuck out of the country. Debbie will deliver his passport and the money from number eight just as soon as he signs over his companies. They don't trust each other, but Debbie has the upper hand, so they agree to exchange tomorrow. Back at the bistro, Debbie has dragged Miles out to tell him to get the paperwork sorted today. It's green for go. Ray's going to sign it all over, and then Miles can get his cut once Ray gets what's coming to him. And separately, Miles has also heard of this mix work and thinks Debbie would do well to stay clear. Yes. Everyone's scared. Of Mick. Later, Miles drops in on Ray, scared of Mick, who is scared of Eileen. Does that mean that Eileen is the scariest person? Yes. Okay. Later, Miles drops in on Ray with the transfer forms. Ray thinks he's been pussy whipped by Debbie. After all these years, Ray is going to miss Miles. They had some fun together, being inappropriate with each other. Ray, not with with each other. Ray's about to sign the forms when Miles grasses Debbie up. There is no turkey. Debbie is going to shop you. Ray knew that he should never have trusted her. Now he's going to make her wish that she'd never met him. And I'm pretty sure that that's already the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so frustrating, though. Because Debbie was this close. And then she just had to say something to Miles. All she had to, to do Miles. is keep her mouth shut. Right, seriously. Miles doesn't need to know anything. No. No, why does she think she could trust this guy? Remind me to question... Miles' intent when we get to the end of this. Right. On Friday, <clears throat> Kev's packing up in the car to drop Jack off at a camping trip or something convenient. Abby is interested in pitching a tent at home when the kid's away. But Kev is more <laughs> exactly interested. Exactly like that. <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> but Kev is more interested in what's going on at the bistro, which is closed for repairs. I wonder how many days of business the bistro's done since two years ago when Ray took it over. It's not two years, it's two new years ago. Right, yeah, because it's Valentine's Day weekend and they're not open. They're closed for repairs because apparently somebody came in and... Vandalised it? Vandalised it. We don't really get to see that. Or understand why or who did it. Right. Are we supposed to think it was Gamek? Yes. Okay. He didn't do an awful lot of damage and Debbie's office is pretty much untouched. Right, yeah, it's just in the actual restaurant part. Things things get swept up. Some some windows need to be repaired. Yeah. Repaired, not repaired. Well, <laughs> one of them definitely needed repaired. So, along comes Sally to announce that Faye's up in court on a GBH charge, all thanks to Ray fucking Crosby. The sooner he gets what's coming to him, the better. Later, Abby has dropped Jack off because Kev's at home and I'm worried that Debbie is lying. Abby, on behalf of the audience, worries that we've already been down this road and Kev promised to let it go. But Kev has got his special casting up shit body warmer on and he casts up all this this down to Abby torturing Ray's car last year and when she promises that she's not lying to him, he casts up her lying about drugs and Peter. He doesn't know the truth from his arsehole these days and Ray is consuming their lives. Abby promises that she's telling him everything that she knows. Debbie saved her life and Ray won't be hurting anybody else anytime soon. He worries what this will mean for Faye. It's a mess, he says. Meanwhile, Miles is at the bistro where there's a lot of repair work going on. Everything is going to Debbie's plan. Ray has the paperwork to sign, Miles has been paid, she has a passport and later the coppers will apprehend Ray at the flat. I expected her to say something foreshadowing at this point, Mm. but she didn't. So let's imagine that she tells Miles that he could buy a lot of ice with his 30 grand. 
He leaves just as Abby comes in suggesting maybe it were Gay Mick what vandalised the place, or maybe Will if she finds a shit in the fridge. <laughs> of which didn't happen. <laughs> also, Kev's panicking, and she's worried that he's going to wuss out and tell the pigs, get your brother on side. Then Tim and a cap and Sally are back from court. Faye has got released on bail, but Gary's still on remand. And unseen, Faye runs up the stairs of Discovery. Kev thinks this is great news. It's not over, and Faye might still get the jail. Sally knows that Faye shouldn't have twatted Adam, but Ray Weinstein sexually assaulted her, so surely there's mitigating circumstances. Debbie comes clopping over and offers her financial backing to fund Faye's legal representation. It's the least that she can do as part of tidying up after that monster. Kev is suspicious, but Tim and Sally think this is brilliant. Kev goes to air his concerns to Abby at the garage, and when she's Team Debbie again, he wonders if Abby's getting a cut. Abby <laughs> tells him he's crossing a line, which surprises him, seeing as Debbie is the one who killed someone three times her size and dumped him in the river. Right. Fuck this, he says. I need to get away from all this, so I'm going to spend a night in the woods with Jack. And sure. So, and so he leaves her alone in the garage because Tyrone's off in the furniture thing in another storyline. Right. <laughs> Abby drops in on Debbie at the bistro and they bitch about Kev for a bit, Abby telling Debbie that he's gone into the woods for the night and she'll keep an eye on him when he gets back. Things will be better after today, says Debbie, who announces that she has a meeting to attend. Abby leaves and a gruff Ray Weinstein-shaped man in workman gear and mask comes in looking for something signed when slap my legs and call me Roger, it's Ray Weinstein in disguise. What? <laughs> he's stolen a workman's... Or has he knocked a workman out and stolen his his hat and his his hard hat and his his fluorescent jacket? And amazingly, he found one as tall as him. Must <laughs> have been great his if it jacket. was far too short. It's halfway up his arms, and the hat doesn't fit. He just sits on top of his and head. And it's just lucky that we're still in COVID because you know he has an excuse to wear a mask half over his face. But he puts on us. He puts in a voice that's different from which sounds like anyway. I want some paperwork for you to sign. Jangle, jangle. She ushers him into the kitchen. She thinks that he likes the danger. He has, yeah, which a- is what you said. That's what you said months ago. Oh, he likes the danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how he gets his jollies. Right. Yeah. So well done, you. That's either it or he just likes dressing up. (laughs) He has the paperwork which he slides over to her. He even has a pen. Everything appears to be in order so Debbie gives him his passport and plane ticket. Grant Robinson is his new name. It's been a pleasure, says Debbie, but hopefully I won't see you again until hell freezes over. (laughs) Ray, though, hasn't got quite everything that he wanted yet and he reveals that he knows that she planned to double-cross him. She didn't pay Miles enough because she's just so cheap. That's been her problem. Right, yeah, 30 grand wasn't enough. Oh, so sorry. But it was agreed. Yeah. Good luck tipping off the cops now, he says. So he throws her into the walk-in fridge, breaks off the handle on the inside, and is about to lock her in when Bear Grills Kev comes round the corner (laughs) (laughs) and twats Ray over the head with a spade that he got from somewhere. I thought it was a frying pan. Was it? Oh, maybe it was. That would make that far, would make far, far, far more sense. sense. Nobody's digging anything in the bistro. He stole Not it today. off of Shona. <laughs> Shona's shovel. Do you know what? I swear <laughs> to God, I saw a spade. <laughs> <clears throat> Stupidly, Kev goes in to help Debbie, but Ray must recover really quickly and he locks a pair of them in the walk-in fridge. 
he shouts on them to chill out and then leaves. Tonight's forecast, a freeze is coming. <laughs> With a bistro close for repairs. <laughs> and workmen not scheduled oh to, to arrive until next week. Kev figures out they'll be dead before anyone comes looking for them. And so they settle down amongst boxes of haddock, bass and swordfish, the remnants of Robert's <clears throat> essence and Will's shit. And wait for Batman to come. There you go. <laughs> I was, in my head, that was a pretty good Arnold impersonation. It was all right. I think everybody knew where knew what you were impersonating. Anyone who's seen that movie? Not that many people. It's it's got quite a cult following for all of the S and M in it. <laughs> all the leather and. And whips and... I, I couldn't remember the exact quote, so I went on IMDb <laughs> and I was looking up quotes from Batman and Robin. In fact, you can see the tab still open. Uh, Batman and Robin, 1988... Or 93? Is that it? I can't 1997. There are so many really, really shit quotes from that movie. Oh, God. Yeah, it's... All of them said by Arnie. It's 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 crazy. Um, The podcast Feminist Frequency Radio did a really good... Uh, episode of you know pulling that movie apart and and uh and and reviewing it also um i don't think i've actually seen it really i took against it because schwarzenegger got the the top villain on the poster and i thought you can't have the villain being the top biller it's arnie and a bat it's a batman movie yeah batman's bigger than arnold schwarzenegger yeah but at the time, George Clooney wasn't bigger than Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're, you're, the that was name George Clooney, wasn't it? Uh, uh, with the yeah. yeah, with the nipples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember be, the nipples. Clooney has to be the top villain in a Batman movie if he's Batman. Yeah, again, he wasn't as big as Arnie. Doesn't matter. He's playing Batman. He's still not as big as Arnie. I mean, he's beloved, the George Clooney. Anyway, and his his wife. And his nipples. Miles his is nipples. outside waiting for Ray, and he's very swish. VW. Arteon to rush Ray to the airport. Miles has got all of Ray's stuff but couldn't find his watch. And we get a bit Pulp Fiction here again as Ray announces that it was his father's watch that Christopher Walken kept up his arse for reasons <laughs> never fully explained. They're going to have to go back to the flat to get it where no doubt Ray will walk in on PC Tinker doing a shit in the toilet <laughs> reading the cartoons in the paper. The, this, the, the whole I have to go back for my father's watch. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. It's Pulp Fiction. <laughs> At the flat, the watch that Miles couldn't find is in plain sight on the dresser. Ray grabs it and then his phone rings just as the police storm the flat and arrest him for bribery. In the fridge, Kev is catching up on Ray not being dead and Debbie lying about being a murderer. She wanted to punish Ray and get justice herself. Kev thinks it was always about the money for Debbie and money isn't going to help them get out of this situation. not about the money. Money, money. Meanwhile, Abby is at Sally's, worried that they can't get hold of Kev after all the rowing they've been doing recently. Sally tells her that Kev will be cool like the Fonzie and, <laughs> and not to worry about it. <laughs> Ray, if only. Ray is being interviewed by the police telling them that Debbie Webster was the brains of the operation and he knows nothing about nothing, particularly nothing about offering Phoebe Buffet a bribe. And Ray is confident that once Miles gets here, he'll be working out, walking out a free man. Here's hoping that they haven't found his passport and plane ticket in a different name. Right, and also they have video proof that it was him, mm-hmm. which he's seen. I have a suspicion that 
Miles is in Turkey now with all the money. Right. And a passport. And right. He's just trying to look like Ray at passport control or whatever. But I think Ray's, I think Miles has double crossed them both. Yeah. Yeah. Miles is gone. It's a very Scottish thing to do. <laughs> Oi. <Oy>, but true. <laughs> I presume it was Miles that phoned him. Yeah, because he says, Miles, why are you calling me? Just to delay no, him. I, I think it's Debbie, because Debbie had this planned, remember? Debbie is in a walk-in fridge and can't no, be phoning but nobody. but remember, she had already had this... No, I, I think thought- Miles has tipped off the police. It's quite possible. And then done a runner. I, I just assumed that Debbie had... That Debbie and the police were already... That this was a plan already in in place that she was gonna no give him needed the Judas kiss precise timing yeah that I don't think they were capable of anyway anyway back in the fridge Kev tells Debbie that Abby thinks that he's camping back in the fridge and won't miss him until tomorrow so they're here at least overnight because no one's going to be looking for them they snuggle up amongst the food and make plans to be there for a while. It's 2021, says Debbie. People don't die in fridges. They just hide from journalists in them. We'll dig it or Boris there for that. She asks how long people can survive in an airtight fridge. Kev doesn't know, but thinks they're about to find out. Yes. And that's how we end this week's episodes. People do still die in fridges. Or behind them. Or under them. Right. Wasn't there a story about uh, they were renovating... I think it was in California. They were renovating a, a restaurant... And they pulled out the old fridge and there was like a body behind it. Oofed. That so, explains the smell. <laughs> some guy who, you know, nobody had seen for years had fallen behind it and nobody went looking for him and nobody knew he was there. <laughs> wow. That's got... So, <laughs> these things still happen. <laughs> Imagine having so little effect on anybody that... You can be dead behind a fridge and nobody really notices that you're gone. That's really sad. Right, yeah. That is pretty sad. Hmm. So, (laughs) they're going to be rescued and they're... This is just Abby to the rescue again, isn't it, next week? Mm, Probably. I'm trying to... How is she going to get them out, though? Because Ray knocked off the handle on the outside, too. Mm -hmm. I have to question the the workmanship in this door because (laughs) the handle was basically knocked off on inside and outside very easily. Yeah. Yeah, Ray's a big guy. He works out. It's like, what do they need to install on the, the fridge to make sure this doesn't happen again? Because this was the Robert and Michelle sex fridge that they got trapped in. I'm trying to remember how they weren't able to get out. There wasn't a um, a handle on the inside, I didn't think. But, but they, there is but they a installed handle on the inside now. Now do they have to install like a little heater or something in the fridge to make sure that if anybody's trapped in over the weekend that they can be kept alive and not suffer from hypothermia? There's enough food there to keep them going. It's a fridge. Right. People are cold all the time, aren't they? As long as you've got food and drink. And Kev's got his sandwiches and his thermos flask, I think. Right, yes. And luckily and, and, and luckily was going camping. Right, yeah. So he's he's dressed for the elements. Mm-hmm. He's got his hat on to keep his heat. Camping heat in wintertime. Yep. So Debbie not so much. Winter camp. She's just got her, her handbag and her, thing. the crook of her arm and that's it. 
and her cape thing. Just quite lovely. I, I kind of like that. She was dressed very well this week. I like her very little cape swish. coat. Yeah. She does have a good fashion sense. Yes, yeah, she does. Was her hair blue? There's no. a bit of blue through her hair, I think. I think that's just the light in the fridge. <laughs> I don't think if she's outside. She suits it anyway. That little hint that she's got going through her hair. <sighs> don't normally notice things like that. So yeah. I'm I'm sorry, I just noticed the asses this week. It was mostly asses, yeah. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> and opportunities for uh, cold puns that didn't didn't take for right. whatever reason. And prisoners not wearing underwear. Mm-hmm. With their hands in their in their waists. Right. <sighs> yeah, I, so Ray getting done for bribery they they want him for for sexual deviance as well, don't they? Cause I Faye, thought he got. I thought he he got off of that with the whole he said she said thing. Or was it just that he got released? I, I can't was remember. It got released because that's why he's running. Oh no, it's the no. He's running because, because of the bribery thing right. because the the video proof. I don't know why he thinks he's going to get out of that or how he can peg that on Debbie when there's video proof of him doing it. Yeah, he's done. That's him. Yeah, he ain't getting out from that. And also. He's either going to be down for murder or attempted murder, depending upon whether or not Debbie and, and Kev get out of there. Let's, let's not pretend that they're not going to get out of there. That's, that's like they're Come on. Safe as houses. Come on. I would be shocked. Double murder. You would need some kind of 18th century smelling elixir to bring me around <laughs> if either one of them die. Especially since we have... Potentially Peter dying and potentially Johnny dying in the future this year. Hmm. Yeah. Who else is potentially going to die? Simon? I'll be saving them both. It's just going to happen. We might as well make our peace with it. Sure. I'd rather she didn't. I'd ra- well, I'd rather, <laughs> so- I'd rather somebody saved them. I like Kev. And I think Debbie's... Do you? Yeah, I don't, I don't dislike him. I think Debbie. I can take him or leave him. Debbie's proven to be a really Debbie's good, great. I like uh, Debbie. Addition to the yeah to the cast, and even though our storyline has been kind of stupidly Machiavellian with right, Ray, it, and I know a lot of people haven't really enjoyed it. I've quite enjoyed this storyline. I have honestly, I haven't minded it. I think it's fun. You know, it is fun. Parts of it are ridiculous. Most of it. I still is. hate the fact that. Nobody is willing to say that Faye was raped. Correct. It's still bothering me. It, it, that really, 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 really bothers me. But other than that, I'd rather have this than stupid Peter and stupid Carla. I much prefer Carla in the Johnny storyline mm-hmm. than with stupid Peter. Yeah, I didn't miss not having that this week. Yeah. I was, I was happy to have a break from stupid Peter. Send your hate mail too. Yeah, you're just <laughs> fucking fishing for it at this stage. <laughs> so that was the week that was Coronation Street. Yes. It was decent. It was all right. It wasn't as good as last week, but it was good. It was, it was yeah. fun. Yeah. Too much Johnny, but... <laughs> Sorry. Else? Sorry. Your moment of the week. <laughs> Dog food. <laughs> really? <laughs> just the faces he was pulling and everything and he's almost eating it. It was just, it was delightful and it was funny and the, you know, why are you carrying dog food around in your pocket and everything? I just, I, 
that gave me the most joy this week. What, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm struggling to think. Some weeks I have, uh, I write them down as they mm-hmm. happen. I think, well, that was, that's worth mentioning rather than me having to cut out five, five <laughs> minutes of silence as we desperately try and think of something. I didn't write anything down this week. And I was hoping that as I was going through it, something would jump out. And I don't think there really was anything. Uh, Kev hitting Ray. The, <laughs> the, the, the the goodness of that was kind of overdone by the, the stupidity of them going into the fridge. I, I, have, I have a feeling we'll probably be giving Moment of the Week to Kev and Debbie next week. So I'm kind of holding it in reserve for them then. Well, there is an opportunity for them to be... There's a little two-hander for their reminiscing about their lives. Right, and being introspective about... And that's always good. That's good, Corey, when when, when characters do that. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm not... (laughs) I'm not against it. I'm just surprised that that's the first thing that you've picked. But, you know, whatever. I don't think it's going to be a popular choice, but... I don't really care. You see that? <laughs> it I, gave I think, me joy. I think it's really difficult to gauge what's going to be popular and what's going to right. be unpopular. There's things that, I, well, I, a lot is up to the gods of Twitter, but there are times when you <laughs> post things a moment of the week that you think is going to get lots of reaction right? that gets nothing. Right. And then the the opposite happens. You expect it well, this was a kind of throwaway moment of the week, but it gets a lot of people buying into it. I don't know. I think it's impossible to second guess it. Anyway. David, about to eat dog food, is our... <laughs> moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Steve shaking the router. Steve shaking the router. Uh, he's, no, that was hilarious. It was. That whole thing was ridiculous. It's boring. We're looking for the boring moment of the week. It is boring. Because it was so unnecessary. Because they could just log on to the auction house on their phones. Mm. And the whole acting like Gen Xers don't know how to use technology. They're not boomers, for Christ's sake. This isn't Ken and Audrey trying to use hotspots. You and I know how to use a hotspot. I would have to think about it. Really? Yeah. I don't do it often enough. I have no need to. You just flip a switch on your phone. But why would I need to? Uh... So I think that my boring moment of the week is Johnny rhyming off the things that you can see that you can't see. Because he does it all the time and nobody's interested. <laughs> and I'm certainly not interested. Come on, if you're getting dog food. <laughs> then you can get an imaginary cat. Thank you very much. That's our... Boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Shall we wrap this one up then? Package it up and send it off to the Library of Congress. <laughs> sure. How many times did you wonder during Monday's break why no one on the street seemed to have a data plan on their phone, only to find out that everyone has a data plan on their phone? Send your bid to us and the winner gets a data. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com, which is also our address on Skype for voicemail and on PayPal if you want to chuck a couple of bucks into our virtual tip jar. We are at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Please check out our merch store and YouTube channel, links to which you can find out on our Twitter bio or on the other stuff page of the talk of the street. .podbean.com and if you're so inclined please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more I Talk of the Street Talk of the Street Cheerio <laughs>